Life's aches and pains, we all experience them. So I'm excited that Plus CBD Relief is backed by popular demand. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CB Sciences. Plus CBD's Relief line of soft gels is the ideal way to help promote a healthy inflammatory response. Plus CBD Relief is doctor formulated with recovery supporting ingredients including CBD, CBDA, and Levagen PEA, which has been found in clinical trials to relieve severe headache faster than ibuprofen. Relief soft gels help address minor everyday soreness, support joint function, and encourage recovery following strenuous activity. All Plus CBD products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com Hoffman for Plus CBD's relief soft gels. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and we're talking about eye health. The book is Beyond Carrots, Best Foods for Eye Health, A to Z. The author, Dr. Rani Bannock. Dr. Bannock is an ophthalmologist uh, who practices in New York. She also uh, has an interest in functional medicine. She's certified in that discipline and therefore combines the best of natural therapies and the best of high-tech uh, developments in the field of ophthalmology to serve patients. And you have a practice in New York City. Is that correct? It's called in Envision Health. I do, yes. Yes. So I see patients in person, and I also do some telemedicine consults uh, for people who want uh you know, just some guidance in terms of what next to do for their eyes. And um, I also teach. I teach residents and fellows and medical students at Mount Sinai. So it's a nice balance between the clinical aspect and the academic aspect of, of ophthalmology. And tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, personal transformation, because you, you were trained, you know, in some of the top uh, institutions uh, of medicine. Uh, as an ophthalmologist, it's a demanding curriculum. Uh, I believe you took uh, a fellowship or a residency at Johns Hopkins, which is not exactly a bastion of alternative medicine. You know, how did you get uh, into uh, a more functional medicine approach to patients? Did you have a personal transformation or a healing journey? I did, yes. Yeah. So first of all, during the majority of my career, I ne never even heard of functional medicine. I had no idea even what it was. Uh, until about um, seven, eight years ago, when I uh, was battling my own health issues with migraine. And I had chronic migraine. Um, and it was, you know, daily headaches, just uh, refractory to any kind of treatment whatsoever. I tried all the, the latest medications out there, nothing was helping. And then I finally decided to, you know, look inward and say, okay, wh where is this coming from? You know, why am I getting these migraines? And so I started to do some research. I was talking to a, a colleague who had just gotten certified in functional medicine. And he said, well, why don't you try an elimination diet or maybe try a mitochondrial diet? And I said, what is that? What is an elimination diet? I'd never heard of it before. So he explained it to me and he explained to me about functional medicine. I said, wow, why is it that I was never taught anything like this in medical school or any of my subsequent training. Why was nutrition never really covered? And when I started to um, get the start, the start my training in functional medicine, I, um, you know, I realized 
that there were many things that were in my control that I wasn't really addressing and uh, that were contributing to my migraines. My diet was a main part of it. I was basically eating the sad diet every single day for years and years and years, uh, living off of um, high sugar content foods, unhealthy fats, um, just uh, processed foods. That's all I would eat. And so I slowly started to make these changes in my own life after continuing my education of functional medicine. And finally, I started to see, you know, see some improvements. And it was really, uh, pun intended, eye-opening for me that um, that this, you know, my my healing journey was within my own control, and it was really based in diet. Uh, it was just such a transformation and a realization that, you know, it really changed the way I think about health and how I um, take care of my patients also, because I never used to talk to my patients about their diets before. And now it's one of the first things I ask people, <laughs> you know, what are you eating? What, what's your what's your lifestyle like? Are you taking any supplements? And so, uh, that's kind of the starting board for me now. And it's kind of ironic that as a fellowship-trained neuro-ophthalmologist, you should be suffering from migraines because as many migraineers know, there's there's an eye and vision component to uh, migraines often. You get sort of, uh, sometimes there are people who don't even have the pain associated with the searing headaches. They have what are called uh, optical migraines. Yes, they get these uh, zigzag flashing light patterns. We call them visual aura. And and I had all of that. And that you're absolutely right. That was so ironic that here I am taking care of people with migraine. And meanwhile, I'm suffering from the same thing. And it was almost like a situation, doctor, heal thyself first. Um, and it wasn't really until I really figured out what, what was the issues with my own condition that I could really help my patients make progress with their condition without having to rely only on prescriptions, uh, prescription medications. Did you find that there were certain trigger foods? Uh, were they the traditional trigger foods like foods rich in tyramine? Uh, or uh, was it something unique to your particular situation that worked out for you? Uh, I think it, for me, it was two things. Um, number one, caffeine. Um, so caffeine and migraine are a double-edged sword. We yep. know that in patients who have mild migraine, caffeine can be a benefit. They can help to treat attacks or prevent attacks. But in people who have a lot of caffeine, it can actually work against them. And so I was having, I, I shudder to think about this now, <laughs> what I was doing back then. I was having 8 to 12 caffeinated beverages a day. Whoa. 8 to 12. And not a single one of my doctors, and I would have been to all all of the top migraine specialists in New York City where I live and work, and not a single one of them had ever asked me, "Wow, how much caffeine do you have every day? How much, what do you eat? How much do you sleep? What's your stress like? What are you doing to relieve your stress? None of these questions were ever asked by my doctors. And so anyway, so I cut back on caffeine significantly. I almost went cold turkey, almost. Um, and, you know, I think that played a major role. And then the sugar was the other thing. So I was eating, I have a sweet tooth, unfortunately, but I was just eating constant sugar, sugar, sugar. And um, I think those highs and lows were just, you know, uh, propagating my, my migraine symptoms. So that was the first step. But then so also, two, two things, never, by the way, that, uh, that fueled your, your uh, medical training, because, you know, those uh, long uh, uh, nights on call, the, you know, the, the rigorous hours, the studying, you know, you tend to fuel yourself with caffeine and sugar. And you know, that's why exactly it's like doctors comfort, often have comfort poor health. Foods, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But the other the other, you know, thing that again, I look back now, and I cringe to think that I used to do this was I would eat really pretty pretty much all processed foods and 
nothing fresh. I would never have fresh vegetables. I would never buy them because I would never have the time to make it. And so, you know, when I started to introduce foods like leafy greens into my diet, have a smoothie, um, have broccoli, uh, have some nuts uh, as a snack instead of turning into candy. I mean, berries in the morning. I mean, all of those changes that may seem simple, uh, they were game, a game changer for me. I and mean, once I started to introduce more uh, natural uh, fruits and vegetables into my diet, things really started to turn around. And, and I was I was hooked. I mean, I was convinced and I ended up getting fully certified in functional medicine. And now this is a big part of what I do in terms of helping people promote their eye health and their brain health as well, especially if they have migraine. And, and you mentioned the energetics. And uh, actually, uh, it's been found that to some extent, migraines uh, are an energetic problem and that certain nutrients that support energy like coenzyme Q10 uh, and vitamin B2, riboflavin, uh, can play a role in mitigating uh, migraines. Were, were those part of your solution or do you utilize those in Absolutely. treating your patients who have migraines? Because I, I presume that you, you do see part of your practice is working with patients who have both ocular migraines and headaches. Yes, actually, um, Dr. Hoffman, about 50% of my patients have some form of headache syndrome, headache or facial mm -hmm. pain, eye pain. So they come to see me because they haven't found relief elsewhere. And yes, so, um, you know, those specific nutrients, riboflavin, B2 at a, at a relatively high dose, 400 milligrams that has been shown in clinical studies to help patients with migraine, um, B12 as well. Uh, and coenzyme Q10. Magnesium is another nutrient that mm -hmm. many, many migraineurs benefit from. Uh, and that's kind of a mainstay of migraine therapy is magnesium, whether it's oral, you know, through foods, plus a supplement, or sometimes even IV magnesium can make a huge difference. Um, and then also the other B vitamins to support mitochondrial health, energy production, um, Absolutely. And, and we do know that uh, mitochondria are not functioning normally in those with chronic migraine. That's been scientifically proven. So, And, and there also yeah, certainly the isn't, as you mentioned, there's an energetic component in some visual problems because uh, the retina of the eye and the optic nerve, which are basically contiguous, you know, they're, 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 one, is, one is an extension of the other, uh, and the parts of the brain that process vision are very uh, energy intensive. They require a lot of energy to function. So certain nutrients can support that. Yes, absolutely. And actually there are, um, we we're talking earlier about specific nutrient deficiencies and vision loss. So we do know that there is um, uh, we almost a nutritional toxic type of optic neuropathy that can occur in individuals who are low in B12 and folate. And so um, that's a very specific type of optic nerve um, damage that can develop when those nutrients are insufficient and um yeah it's fortunately it's not that common but it can happen and uh you know sometimes it's reversible with proper supplementation or, or iv supplementation so um so yeah. you you list uh, a lot of foods you know the, the title of the book is beyond carrots best foods for eye health a to z and some of the foods are you know things we might uh, expect, you know, like berries and carrots and green leafy vegetables. What are some of the more unusual foods that uh, come up high on your list of uh, beneficial eye foods? 
So I have a whole range of various foods. Um, the majority of them are uh, fruits and veggies. And there are some quote unquote exotic ones here. Um, for example, uh, when I go through the letter D, I have dandelion greens, which many people may think of leafy greens as spinach or kale or collard greens, but dandelion greens. And then also for D, I have dragon fruit, which um, you know some people have probably never even seen <laughs> before. Uh, but is that, is that the kind of weird spiky becoming, thing that, that you looks kind of for, yes, for, forbidding? It, in, looks, you know? it looks like a dragon. It looks a little bit ominous, but um, you cut it open and the, the skin peels off very quickly, very easily, actually. And inside, this fruit is this beautiful speckled fruit. And there's two different types. There's red and white. Um, there are many, um, actually, uh, smoothie bowls that people love, love to make with dragon fruit. But uh, dragon fruit's wonderful. Wonderful. It's got uh, it's got vitamin C. It's got beta carotene. Um, it's got uh, magnesium, iron, um, and it provides fiber. So it's a great way, especially during months when it's in season, to add some diversity to your diet and get all of those nutrients. And then I also talk about some spices. Uh, many people don't necessarily associate spices with eye health, um, but there are some spices. For example, paprika. Uh, which is a fairly common spice. Um, it is uh, made out of um, a caps capsicum plant. And, and from paprika, we can actually get lutein and zeaxanthin, those macular carotenoids I was talking about earlier. So that's a, a way to kind of boost your macular carotenoids. So, I, so I'm on the right track when I put uh, paprika on my uh, scrambled eggs in the morning? Yes, and actually, you're you're doubling up because the eggs, the egg. I hope you're eating the yolks. Uh, the egg yolk oh, yeah. is extremely rich in lutein. So lutein and zeaxanthin are both pigments that have a yellowish orange color to them. So if you look for foods that are naturally yellow or orange, like egg yolk, um, like orange peppers, yellow peppers, then you're you can pretty much presume that they have uh, some lutein or zeaxanthin in them. Lutein and zeaxanthin, I should say. Um, but getting back to the spices, um, another spice that I do highlight in my book is saffron. Now, saffron is this beautiful, bright orange spice. Um, it is not grown here in the United States, but it's imported. It is a little bit pricey, but even mm -hmm. small amounts can have benefit. Um, there's also supplementation that you can supplement saffron. But saffron's been shown in some studies with um, looking at macular degeneration to help reduce progression of macular degeneration. And a dose of um, 20 milligrams a day was shown to slow the progression of macular degeneration in one study. So, uh, so I do try in most of the, um, the foods that I highlight, I do try to not only link it back to eye health, but also provide some published research using those nutrients that, um, that have shown benefit for eye health. And I do have an extensive list of references also in the book. Because uh, I do want this to be, um, you know, supported by science. So it's not just um, purely, you know, try this out. You know, it has this nutrient in it. It, it does have that scientific backing. I hope you're not going to say uh, caviar and truffles because uh, those could really, bust, <laughs> along with the saffron, that could really bust your budget. But you, you have a list of top therapeutic foods. Uh, and I believe, it, is it available uh, in the book or is it on a, a separate uh, website? So, um, so the book highlights of the, the foods, there are, I believe, about 40 foods highlighted in the book, um, again, going through the entire alphabet. Um, and then I have a supplement. So the supplement is available as a free download. 
Um, if you go to my website, you can uh, order the book, but then you can also download the supplement. Okay. And in the supplement, there's and a couple of it, about 10 extra foods. It's, um, it's www.myfullname, which is rudranibanikmd.com. Uh, and then you can also go to uh, backslash beyond carrots to get directly to the web page. It's phonetic, uh, but can, spell uh, it for people. It. It's fairly easy to spell. Rudrani? Sure. It's, sure. It's R-U-D-R-A-N-I. And my last name is Banik, B-A-N-I-K-M-D.com. But everybody calls you Rani, Dr. Rani anyway. so Yes. Most people call me Dr. Rani. Either is fine. <laughs> okay. Either is fine. So, so, uh, so the other thing that I think really plagues us in our modern lives is the amount of screen time that we spend. You know, I get a little prompt on my uh, computer, uh, on my iPad that says, your screen time is uh, down this week. It's down 17%, 17%. You only spent four and a half hours per day, period, to your devices. <laughs> you know, good for you. A uh, lot of mm-hmm. time spent, you know, you're actually up close on and the personal. Low side. Um, yeah, you're, you're actually on the low side. So um, can you guess what the average amount of screen time is for I, Americans? I would say seven. This is actually pre, 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 pre-pandemic now. I would say about six or seven. Up yeah. to over 10 hours a day. Oh, no. It was, it was, it, in one study by the Scientific American Mind, it was over 10 hours a day on yeah, some kind of a screen, some kind of a, you know, whether it's your television your phone your computer 10 of the average is it's crazy the amount of time we spend glued to our devices which is you know it can definitely make us productive and help us connect but um we have to consider what it could potentially do to our eyes and one of the conditions that's commonly associated with all of this screen time is called digital eye strain and it's really a constellation of symptoms including dry eyes blurry vision trouble focusing light sensitivity, sometimes even headaches or neck or shoulder pain. And so the nutrients that I talked about earlier, I keep coming back to these two nutrients, lutein and zeaxanthin, these are our natural blue blockers. So if you have enough of those blue blockers in your diet, they get deposited into your eyes and protect your retinas. And there are actually studies that have shown that people who supplement with these nutrients have reduced eye strain. Hmm. Um, and light sensitivity. So uh, people always ask me, should I be buying these blue blocking glasses? And I say, well, first of all, why don't you make sure you're getting enough of these nutrients in your diet? And then if you're not feeling any better, then okay, you can still get get some blue blocking glasses or put a blue blocking filter on your computer. Uh, But start with the nutrition first. And of course, it's it's a good idea to uh, go outside and uh, bathe in uh, outdoor colors you know get your infusion of green and and look at a horizon from time to time i've I've heard that part of the reason that so many kids are nearsighted these days myself included because i was a real bookworm i started reading at some ridiculously young age uh and spent a lot of time uh you know as a studious youngster uh that uh kids who spend more time outside uh that that actually facilitates normal development of the eye Yes. Thank you so much for bringing this up because I think uh, we need to spread more awareness of this, this concept. So uh, nearsightedness, which is myopia, is becoming an epidemic around the world. And it's estimated that by 20, 
of us will be nearsighted. And we think it has to do with the amount of time we spend up close because our ancestors really had to focus at a distance. You know, when during their uh, hunter-gatherer stage, they, if they didn't, you know, spot you know, danger coming, then they may not survive. So their distance vision was what was really important. And their near vision was really not used as much. Nowadays, especially because we're on our devices all the time, we rely so heavily on our near vision and our intermediate vision. And it's constantly putting a strain on the lens in our eyes. And the eye actually changes shape during um, youth, during uh, childhood into their one's early 20s, where the eye can actually elongate because of this constant near focusing and cause myopia. And so there are studies out of Asia, uh, I believe out of Taiwan and Singapore, where they looked at children and they found that if the children spent two hours a day outdoors, playing outdoors, uh, whether it's during school time or after school time, their risk of myopia progression decreased. And based off of that, I think some countries are now mandating that school children spend at least two hours a day outside. I know in Denmark that they've passed a law to do that. I hmm. believe in some of the Asian countries they've done that as well. And hopefully in the United States, we will eventually be, you know, start to institute some of these uh, findings. But myopia is problematic, absolutely. And um, I, I do think it has to do with the amount of time we're spending on, on screens all, the, all day long. And apropos of that, you know, there's some technological developments, uh, including eye drops that are supposedly helping people who have the opposite farsightedness, right? Is, is, that's a new thing. But how plausible is, is that as a treatment? So there is a drop uh, called Vuity. Uh, you may have seen advertisements on television. Is this what you're referring to? I think Dr. so. Hoffman? Yeah. Vuity, maybe. Yeah. So, so this, this is a drop that is used for a condition called presbyopia. And presbyopia is actually trouble reading up close, which most of us develop at some point. You know, I usually tell my patients, if you live long enough, you're eventually you're going to have this problem presbyopia where, you know, people have to kind of hold things further and further away to see them clearly. Like it's the, my arms aren't long enough, in, uh, long enough um, syndrome. Uh, but, uh, so presbyopia is trouble focusing up close. And this drop, the way it, it addresses presbyopia is that it constricts the pupil. And it, it, it uh, makes your depth of field, it changes the depth of field so that we can focus up close. Isn't it, and it's, it's like, like those pinhole solution. glasses. It's like those pinhole glasses, that yes. they, those cheap things yes, that people sell same, in lieu of glasses, right? It's the same exact concept, yes. When you decrease the the aperture through which light rays come in, the rays are more focused in the back of the eye. So that's what the, the concept is. And the thing it does work. I've actually tried it myself just to see how, you know, how I would respond. And it definitely helps. It helps to focus up close. But, you know, with, with a couple of caveats. Number one, it's not for everyday use. Definitely, I would not rely on these drops. Uh, number two, in some patients who are predisposed, they may be at higher risk for retinal detachment or retinal tears. Nice. So you definitely want to be you know, cautious if you're going to consider this. Talk to your uh, eye care specialist and make sure that it's a safe choice for you and don't use it every day. Those are my recommendations if you're going to use it. Um, but, you know, let's say you're going out to dinner and it's a dim restaurant right. and it's really hard to read the menu. Okay, that's, you know, for certain situations like that, it may be appropriate, but Again, not for day-to-day -day use. Restaurants are not designed for people over the age of 50, I notice these days, because <laughs> the print is tiny and the light is dim 
And uh, it really, it, I, you know, it, I think it's a form of age discrimination, personally. Uh, Interesting. Yes, I, I, I agree. I agree. But, you know, luckily we have our phones and you can just yes. shine a little flashlight on the menu. Or use and the magnifier. Zoom in and, and yeah, right? exactly. Use the magnifier, zoom in and can read the menu so indeed <laughs> what is so there, there's some interesting developments uh on the frontiers of eye technology uh including the prospect that we may restore vision uh in people who've lost their vision so uh at the next uh, grammy awards is, is stevie wonder going to take off his dark glasses and and demonstrate that he's cured is that <laughs> is that something we can envision uh I wish that we were as simple as that. So there's, there's a lot of research going on now with stem, th- stem cell therapy and gene therapy for, for, eye lo- um, for vision loss, for permanent vision loss, whether it's a retinal degeneration, optic nerve, um, uh, neuropathy, like a hereditary optic neuropathy, um, uh, color vision loss, retinitis pigmentosa. These are some of the conditions that are being um, explored right now using stem cell therapy and gene therapy. I think that, yes, it, it will be the answer, but we're not there yet. And there's a lot more, many, many years of research that need to be uh, completed to ensure the safety and efficacy of some of these treatments. Now, that being said, if you Google um, stem cells for macular degeneration, for example, you can find a list of places to go and get stem cells. You can mm-hmm. go to, there's a couple of centers down in Florida that offer this treatment. Um, you can go abroad. I think you can get it in China. You can get it in Germany, a couple of other countries. But what I would say is uh, none of these are yet FDA approved. So if you do choose to, to um, pursue a tr- treatment like stem cells or gene therapy, make sure that it is part of a clinical trial mm-hmm. where the safety comes first. That safety is being looked at very, very, yep. being scrutinized before, you know, embarking on a very expensive journey that may potentially cause harm. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I remember a write-up in, I, it might have been New England Journal of Medicine, which is uh, the uh, recitation of, you know, pretty horrible outcome for some people who went to such a clinic that was a little bit, uh, shall we say, off the beaten path. And uh, they had... Uh, stem cells injected to their eyes and it didn't work out and in fact caused yeah not only did it not work out yes in both eyes there were several patients who unfortunately went completely blind because of uh very aggressive inflammation in their eyes after having these stem cells injected so just a word of caution now can can you you're going to talk in in a new book about uh uh, specifically macular degeneration, uh, because your your next book, which is due out, when is it going to be released? It uh, it says here in the press release to be released soon. So I, uh, it's written. It's completely written, and it just needs to be um, the, the layout just needs to be uh, finalized. So I hope I hope by we'll bring May you back on to talk about that. like by the summer. Maybe yeah. I hope by the summer of twenty twenty three it will be out. But it's it's done basically. So okay soon. But I just wanted to ask it, you know, we'll go into detail when the book is out because I want to talk to you again specifically about macular degeneration and do a deep dive on that subject because that's such a common problem. It's the leading cause of blindness, I believe, in people over a certain age. Um, and the there are two basic types. I know that's an oversimplification because most macular degeneration is mixed type. But 
you know, there's the wet and the dry. And the dry seems to be amenable to nutritional treatment, according to the ARID studies. That's what ARIDs looked at, not the wet form of macular degeneration where there's there's uh, bleeding and there's, you know, uh, edema in the eye, fluid accumulation. Um, are there s- different types of nutrients for that type that may be beneficial, like perhaps bioflavonoids, and, you know, things like... Uh, uh, pycnogenol, perhaps that tend to reduce uh, that tend to reduce capillary leakage. Uh, that's been proposed. Yes. So um, in uh, so right now the research with wet macular degeneration basically uh, most uh, doctors will treat it with eye injections of yep. you know various different agents that stop the bleeding. So from a food pers- or from a nutrient perspective. Um, there are some preliminary animal studies looking at various types of bioflavonoids like apigenin and um, from quercetin. Uh, yes. So, uh, so there. Are, I mean, these are again, they're not human studies, but they have promise. And the other um, uh, agent that um, that I actually recommend to my patients with wet macular degeneration is uh, a supplement called Arteriosil. And it's thought to help the capillary endothelium and prevent, you know, this is for other types, you know, just general systemic issues, um, uh, help uh, the capillary endothelium remain intact. And um, and as a kind of a, uh, the retinal epithelium may also benefit. So I have used it in some of my patients and I've seen some benefits. But again, this is not based off of any clinical research study. This is my anecdotal kind of um, observations. Uh, but yes, I think that using some of these bioflavonoids are eventually going to be hopefully an adjunct to the current therapies. But therapies are not ideal. They don't necessarily help to reverse vision loss. Um, and they need to be given every couple of months. Like some patients go every month for their injections or every three months for their injections. And it's really no, you know, no easy thing to get these routine eye injections. So uh, I hope that there'll be better options for patients with wet macular degeneration in the future. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yes, it's a, a wealth of information uh, in beyond carrots, best foods for eye health, A to Z. That's uh, the new book by today's guest, Dr. Rudrani Banik. You can find her at uh, your, her website, which is uh, Rudrani, Rudrani Banik MD. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. RudraniBanikMD.com. And um, yes, I look forward to uh, to getting this information out there. And also, um, if uh, if you uh, if any of your listeners have specific eye conditions and they want to know which specific nutrients or foods to focus on, I have an online tool that I've developed called the Nutrition IQ Test, and mm-hmm. it's E Y E Q Test. And very basically, cute. we answer a couple of sim- simple questions, very, very simple questions about your current health history, your eye history, your family history, your current dietary habits. And the uh, the tool will tell you which specific uh, types of food groups that you should focus on. And in the book, it's all coded based off of um, uh, eye uh, structures. For example, there's cornea, lens, optic nerve, retina. And so the nutrition IQ test will guide you towards specific, um, again, parts of the eye that you should be eating to support. Great. Give, give us uh, the link once again. Um, it's the nutrition IQ test. And you can find it through my website. 
So uh, if you just go to the Beyond Carrots homepage for my website, it's there as well. Okay, you're also on Facebook uh, at uh, uh, and also on Instagram, uh, dr. Bannock, R-A-N-I-B-A-N-I-K, uh, for valuable tips on protecting and preserving your vision. Uh, great stuff. Uh, you're an excellent communicator of basic knowledge about eye problems. And I much anticipate your new book about macular degeneration. We'll have you back on in a few months when that comes out this year. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hoffman. It's always a pleasure speaking with you and, again, sharing this information. And I love your insightful questions. Really, really amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant, and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.